Imagine living that way. Imagine knowing from the ground up that you are tied to the whole, that you are undefeatable. That's the kind of knowledge that comes from a place of deep faith. It's a kind of knowing that's beyond words, and it's a kind of knowing that is not debatable. This kind of knowing informs the very center of our being. It's unshakable. It permeates everything that we do, everything that we hope for. Imagine living that way from the very center of your being. Imagine having that kind of spiritual integrity. You know, in the Quaker tradition, we wouldn't greet one another with, Hi there, how goes it? How's the job going? How's the family? How are you? The traditional greeting would be, How is it with your spirit? How is it with your spirit? And I sometimes wonder what difference it would, it would make. And in my fantasy world, if we were to honestly ask and answer, how is it with your spirit each day? On chance encounters, what a different world this might be. Did you know that most Quakers had divested themselves as of slaves almost a century before the Civil War? No one told them that they were required to do that. There were no heated debates. There were no ecclesiastical pronouncements or edicts. The Quakers simply, quietly, one by one, found that they could no longer ignore the deep moral questions that the owning of slaves posed. One by one, the slave owners among them discovered that while they may be able to respond enthusiastically to questions like how's business, they could not respond with comfort to the question, how is it with your spirit? So how did this happen? But Quakers came to the same conclusion regarding slavery within a few years of one another all across, all across the southern states. And it's not stretching the truth to say that the moral convictions of one man, John Woolman, literally transformed the understandings and the actions of his co-religionists. He had a near-death experience as a young man, and during his feverish battle for life, he believed he had a vision. We'd probably say that he had a hallucination brought on by a high fever, but he understood that he'd had a vision. And lacking the wisdom of modern medicine and psychology, he was unable to rationalize away the deep truth that this vision presented. In his journal, he recalls meeting with a group of slaves who challenged him. 
They said to Woolman, if the Bible truly tells you that Christ instructed you to treat us this way, then Christ is a cruel tyrant. Woolman was shaken to the core. He had to ask himself what kind of a God he did believe in. He asked himself, what would Jesus do? The answer was clear. To him, if he believed that God loved all children, then no God worthy of his devotion would condone mistreatment of any person. And there was no way then that he could reconcile his love of God with a belief that God condoned slavery. And so at the age of 26, roughly 1750, John Woolman traveled over 1,500 miles visiting his friends who were slave owners. And after he left, one by one, these slaveholders started setting their slaves free. I wasn't there for the conversation, but it's said that John never caused offense in his visits. He never accused his friends of doing a wrong thing. Rather, he simply explained what he believed. He explained his deep conviction that all people were children of God and should be treated as such. And he simply asked slave owners to examine their own consciences, to examine their beliefs, to ensure that their lives were being led together with their religious convictions. He essentially asked them, how is it with your spirit? And within 50 years, no Quakers owned slaves. At the 1792 National Yearly Meeting, there was full consensus that slavery was not practiced by the Society of Friends. That was not an edict from an ecclesiastic authority. It was a description of how the Friends lived. How is it with your spirit? Are you fully alive, vibrant, Do you feel like you're in touch with the wellspring of your faith and your power? Is your heart filled with joy or hope? Do you have clarity, vision, meaning, directing your life? Imagine living that way. Imagine how that feels. Imagine what you would hang on to. You see, John Woolman hung on for life to a vision of slaves turning away from his God because that kind of a God must be a cruel tyrant. That vision, that deep knowing, shaped his entire life. It was a universalist message, a message that we are all children of God, that we are all loved, that we are all born with innate worth and dignity, And that vision grasped Woolman. That vision held him no less than he grasped it. And I, like many of you, was blessed to grow up with the same knowledge, the same deep knowledge. I knew that I belonged here. I knew that I was unconditionally loved and that no matter what happened, 
somehow I was still acceptable and accepted? Now, I did not learn that at school. I didn't learn it from my peers. I didn't even learn it from my family. I learned it at church. You see, it never occurred to me that my teachers loved me. (laughs) I was one of those students that teachers seldom forget. But I never expected to be remembered fondly. And I knew without a doubt that my brother hated me. And I was not a person with a lot of friends. Sometimes I found myself with no friends. I was never a very popular child. And sometimes I thought that even my parents hated me. But somewhere, deep in my center, I knew that I was undeservedly, no question, but still unconditionally loved. And that was a very good thing to know on those evenings when I went to bed without dessert, sometimes even without dinner. And when I felt most alone, most hated, most unworthy, a song that I learned at church ran through my mind. And sometimes I would hum it to myself as I cried into my pillow. And it told me, it told me I was loved and I believed it. I grew up in a Christian tradition, and many of you did too. For those of you who didn't, you may not know the song I'm remembering. But do you remember how it felt when you were very little and not nearly as good at living as you and other people wanted you to be? Lots of you know it. Come on. There'll never be a safer place. (laughs) Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong, they are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me, yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me, the Bible tells me so. It was nice while it lasted, wasn't it? (laughs) And then there was this thing that happened called growing up. And sometimes that means leaving behind deeply cherished and comforting truths. And one day this voice in my head ended it all for me. The, jo- the voice said, Jesus never met you. <laughs> that did it. After that day, I became a literalist. The song never offered me the same comfort it had given me for all those years. The words got in the way. I had to throw it out. Jesus hadn't met me. And so, in this wonderful new life of literal truth, I discarded a deeper truth for too many years. 
I discarded the truth of the universalist message that the song expressed, that we are all children of the same creative force, that we're all each endowed with a spark of divine energy. We're endowed with innate worth and dignity. And I realized that it was, I was able to throw that out because I left the Christian church one week before confirmation and became a Unitarian. Now, we understand how important it is to help our children understand deeper truths about love and the power of generosity when they outgrow Santa Claus. But why are so many of us so hesitant to help our children hold on to that deeper universalist message that was expressed in the song, Jesus Loves Me, or whatever message of love that comes from your religious tradition, from your youth? We have choices. And there are many truths at any time that we can choose from. You see, reality is always standpoint dependent. But reality is never what it appears. Truth is never literal. So our life experiences may cause us to see or experience different realities than people with different sets of experiences. There's no one reality. But why is it, why is it that we so often feel that when our perspective, our standpoint shifts, that everything we once knew is no longer true? Especially at this time of year, when so many people in our faith tradition find themselves uncomfortable how to take part in the year, in the celebrations of the season. For those who have not grown up in an earth-centered tradition, solstice just might not do it. Is it really okay to light the Hanukkah candles? Is it really okay to go to a Christmas Eve Mass. I'm here to say that I'm with Trudy, the bag lady, in Jane Wagner's play, Search of Signs for Intelligent Life in the Universe. She says, I refuse to be intimidated by reality any longer. Reality is the leading cause of stress among those of us in touch with it. (laughs) Reality is beside the point when we're talking about religious truth, folks. Religious truth is a matter of faith and nourishment, and faith, by definition, is beyond what we know. Please note that I said beyond. Sometime it may be proven true, but then it's no longer faith. Faith positions cannot be proven. There is always contradictory evidence. 
Every individual is born with innate worth and dignity. Have any of you ever come across any contrary evidence to that? There's always evidence contradicting as well as supporting whatever religious truth we hold on to with 10,000 fingers. The power of religious truth lies in its ability to sustain us, not in our ability to demonstrate its literal truth. And so as we enter this season, I'm here to tell you that for over 25 years, if I've not been in a Unitarian Universalist church that would tell the Christmas story and have a full